welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. This evening we conclude our three-week look at this huge area of mental health. It has been our aim, whilst fully realizing that we won't even really begin to scratch the surface of such a subject that we had to do something that we just didn't want to do nothing about the big issue of mental health that is in our society and affecting the church and, uh, and our culture. We didn't want to do something that was just simple tokenism, but we wanted to tackle it as best as we could over these three weeks that for, for far too long, society and the church has been quiet on a subject that has been growing in intensity over the years. And one of the aims that we had from the outset of these three weeks is to be able to say to folks, we want you to have the permission to talk about mental health. We want to give you permission to say, you know, I am struggling with anxiety. I, I'm struggling with depression. I, I, I'm, you know, I've talked about suicide. I've thought about it. That we will talk about it so that something of the stigma, something of the shame, something of the guilt that is surrounding this whole area is dissipated and that we feel comfortable in a safe environment whether it be connect groups or with our friends or with our family to say, you know, this is where I'm at and we want people to have the freedom to talk about it. Week one was incredibly personal when Sue Sue Powell spoke about her own story around her husband Pete committing suicide, that six years ago Pete decided to commit suicide, leaving behind him uh, just a family that was devastated, and she talked about that uh, quite openly, honestly, and, and quite wonderfully. Then last week, we looked at it from a real a point of practice of, uh, of a theological, a biblical foundation, and, and a counselor's point of view. What's it look like in theological practice? What's it look like in practice day to day? And this evening, for week three, we're going to come at it from a pastoral point of view. Uh, Jan heads up our pastoral team here at Gateway, and Sylvia heads up our prayer team. And we're going to look at it from a very pastoral point of view, and I'll come to that in a moment. But before we we do look at it from uh, the pastoral point of view, I want to reference something that's been happening in our in our news and in our media over the last couple of weeks. As you all know, was it two weeks ago? It was a mental health week here in New Zealand, as it was across the world when the focus of attention was on mental health. And as a result of the, that week here in New Zealand, and I think across other nations, there, the, it was, there was issued, I should say, a well-being challenge, that in the midst of what is going on, there was this challenge that came out of the mental health week that for well-being, these are some of the things that you need to be doing. This is not Christian-based, this comes out of the, the mental health um, I'm going to say industry, that isn't the quite right, but uh, background. And the five things that they, they highlighted that they, you need to be doing on a regular basis. Five things they said, first of all, was connect. Second was keep learning. Third was to take notice or to look up. Fourthly was to give. And fifthly was to be active. That these are important for well-being. That these are all help in the whole area of mental health. But once you look at those, and just a cursory glance of those five things will show you that there is an incredible Christian correlation in those whole areas, that the Christian message really is, is as much in that as, as anything else. First of all, to 
get connected. We talk about the Christian community. We talk about our faith community. And it's important for Christians that we not just simply talk about community, but that we are actually in community and living and acting it out. It is important across all stratas of society, but for Christians, it is equally important. Often I, I ask people, how are you doing? And they said, you know, I, I'm really struggling and, and I'm not doing too good. And then there comes back the report, well, you know, I haven't been able to make it to church recently. I haven't been able to do it or I've been a little bit too busy. You know, I think that if that happens, those are alarm bells that should be going off in people's life. That if you're too busy to be part of a faith community, community on a regular basis, it's not just a biblical principle, there's a mental health issue around that, that meeting regularly is part of a holistic approach, and we need to seek out fellowship. The second thing about keep learning that, that is, again, so important, so good, growing in the knowledge of who we are and growing in the knowledge of God growing in the knowledge of how God loves us, how God perceives us, how, how, how wonderful he thinks we are, that despite what we've been through in life, whatever shaped us, that it's incredible to know of his love and to learn about that, and also to learn about ourselves, who we are, and not to be afraid to challenge ourselves. I had a lovely conversation at the end of uh, last Sunday morning's gathering, and, and a lady came to me and she said, you know, here I am, I'm in my 50s or early 60s, and I have struggled with depression since I was 18, but one of the things that I have learned is I have learned a lot about myself. I have learned the trigger points. I have learned how to cope. I have learned what to incorporate in my life. I've learned what to stay away from. And that person has learned or has continued to learn about themselves, and it's so important, whether it be learning about a God or about ourselves. The, the next thing that the well-being challenge says about take notice, it says that we need to look up from where our own daily scenario. We need to take a look up at the, round, at the community, around the culture, the things that are happening in our world around us instead of always focusing inwardly. On a number of times, Don has spoken and made reference this year that as Christians, we need to realize that we are living our part of this story out of a bigger story that we're not just Christians here in, in Hamilton or the Waikato or New Zealand. We're, first of all, part of the world, but we are part of a bigger story that's gonna go down from creation to the end of time, that we are part of God's story, that if we fail to see that, something is diminished in, in, in our life, and, um, and that's just a, a so crucial for us. And then, nextly, to give. Oh, wow. If that isn't a Christian message, if that isn't a part of who we are, that the Word of God talks about he who, who loses his life will find it. You know, our society tells us to grab, take to yourself, and then you'll be fine and you'll be secure, whatever. The Bible says he who loses his life will find it. We read of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And I want to throw the challenge out that if, we, if you are not serving in some way, then something is not right. It's not congruent to who we are as Christians, that something is found when we give ourselves away. And lastly, just to be active, just the whole area of a balanced lifestyle. The Bible talks about living, that in or living life in balance, that our rest and our activity. And we shouldn't be surprised that uh, these, the challenge for well-being is in some ways so 
Christian. It is so gospel, it is so biblical. And I just thought it was a good place for us to start this evening as we looked at this whole area. And so tonight we're going to come from a pastoral perspective and we're going to look at things from as three pastors here at Gateway. And when I was just preparing this morning, when I was just in my final preparation and I was in my office and I was sort of saying, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me? Because I I need all the help I can get. Is there anything that you just want to give me before I, I, I go down, as it were, and we start the gathering. And I just felt that the Lord said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me, that this is going to be controversial. This is going to be controversial for some people. Not that what we're going to say is deliberately going to be controversial, but it's going to be controversial within your hearts. It's going to be controversial within your spirits, because we're going to say some things that you're saying, well, I don't want to stop doing. Oh, I do those things. Or you, and it's going to stir you up. And um, we're going to say good stuff. We're going to enjoy that. We're, not, we're, not, we're just going to say what we feel from a pastoral point of view, and we're just going to put it out there. So if it stirs you, if it makes you respond, hey, you can't say that to me, well, we're going to give it a go. And we're going to be controversial in that sense. And you may come to me at the end and say, Chris, there was nothing controversial. What were you on about? Well, that often happens to me when, people, when I preach. Um, we were sitting... Uh, three of us, and we were working out that probably on an average every week, we meet about 60 people between the three of us. And so what we're going to be talking about is coming out of pastoral experience. And we have used the, the phrase, what are causal factors? What are causal factors? What are underlying? What are connecting factors that uh, come together, that cause anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts from our experience. Um, The best way to describe it is frequent issues that we encounter related to or lead to anxiety or depression. That's what we want to talk about. Related, frequent issues we encounter that are related to or lead to anxiety and depression. Last week, Don quoted that incredible um, words of Ravi Zacharias when he says this, that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you will want to pay. So therefore, that's the background to what we want to do tonight. We want to talk about pastoral issues that we believe lead to anxiety and depression. That was a long introduction, wasn't it? It really was. You're supposed to say carry on. No, I... Okay. I want to talk, first of all, and the first question is, the importance about what we feed our minds, the importance of what we as believers feed our minds on a regular basis. As one writer says, everyone recognizes our diets directly affect our health and working of our bodies. And whilst we may not eat right 100% of the time, we generally do our best. So therefore, why isn't it that we are as careful with our minds as we are with our spiritual health? I'll let you start off. Thank you. Um, Yes, what we look at, what we think about affects our minds. But also, I think it affects our actions and it affects our behaviours. And we can't look at things and think, that there is going to be no repercussions from the things that we look at or allow our minds to wander to. So I think it's really, really important that we do watch incredibly carefully what we put into our minds. 
might be just one example of the fact of somebody watching pornography. So pornography devalues women. And then in the marriage setting, you can imagine that things will not go as they should. Without pornography, someone's mind can be pure. With pornography, it cannot. So yes, it's really important as to what we put in and feed our minds. Is it like Romans 12 says about the do not conform to the world but by the renewing of our minds. Our minds are so important. John. It's huge. I think even as simple and as basic as the things that we watch on TV, on Netflix, the music we listen to, to be honest, and different ones have different kind of levels that they can manage. Uh, others, some can watch horror movies. I, I personally can't. We talked about that this morning. Um, some people, in order to keep themselves uh, with a really good sense of mental well-being, they don't watch the news even. I personally struggle with that because I'm addicted to watching the news. But, um, and, or or the, reading the newspaper or something, but for others, they just don't manage that. So, yeah, I think there's movies, there's music, there's uh, lots of these things now. It's just so easy. We, we Netflix and Lightbox and all of that stuff is so available and there's so much horror. And am I fair to say that, uh, I think I've made reference to this when we are talking about this in the week, is that when I was uh, a young Christian, when I was growing up, the, the default position was to go to a list of rules and things, you don't do this, yeah. you don't do that, you don't do the next thing. Thankfully, I think we've, we've moved on from that sort of religion. But would it be fair to say that a lot of these things is specific to the person? Specific to, you know, for example, like you, I cannot watch horror movies. Mm. I cannot. It's just something about it. At an early age, I realized that it was something that I couldn't do. It would trouble me. It would play on my mind. All those things that it does. Mm. Uh, I made reference to this morning. It's just like, you know, when Lucifer, the program, comes on on a Monday night on TV One. I don't know how anybody watches that, let alone a Christian, because of what it does and how, what the, the, the background to it. But are we, are we saying, in the sense, is that the, it's specific to a person, that, that they've got to know who they are, or...? I actually think so, yes. Um, like you, I can't watch horror movies. But I think it is specific. I think it depends um, how you've been brought up, what circumstances you were brought up in, what your life experience has been, maybe mm. even as going back as far as what happened with your parents as well as to the impact that that has on you and the impact that it has on your mind and therefore the trigger points when you're watching particular things. So yes, it will be different. Yeah. And, and our personalities are different. Uh, we have different predispositions genetically as well. Um, I personally, because of background, can't watch anything to do with Satanism or even if it's just alluded to, it just completely freaks me out. It's just, I just have to be incredibly careful. We are all different. But it, causes, it leads us, if we watch some of those things, it leads us into anxiety. Yeah. It makes us anxious. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's that thin edge, I can't do yep. that, whatever. And yep. we, what we're feeding in our minds is really causing, it's setting mm. us up to, for problems. Yep. And it's, we're going to talk about this later on, about a holistic approach. It's not just one thing. We're going to be looking at this from a holistic point of view. Um, you know, as Matthew 6 says, that the eye is the lamp. Yeah. And so it, it's so important. I, I came across an, an image recently. It's, it's quite... 
what's fed into us is not so much what we uh, watch ourselves, but the importance of what is played in, uh, over and over to us. And I came across this image, which I found really, really helpful. It's, it's not very subtle either. But what is fed into our minds is really, really powerful. And what we say to other people, what we say about other people, what we allow other people to say to us, and what we allow people to pierce our hearts with is also really, really important. And um, probably because this is, probably comes with knowing oneself. If somebody says something to me and it, and it sticks in my heart, I just, I just go, go to someone who I trust and say, is that true? And, and I just say, no, it isn't true. And, and, and you just gotta manage those things. So how we feed our mind, you know, I think it was, it was um, Mark Twain says, a man's real life is in his head. And, and I think that's so true. Okay, we got a lot of stuff we wanna get through tonight, so I'm gonna keep moving. Big question, we, we all, all of us see um, depression and anxiety, especially in Christians, especially in young and maybe not so young, in the whole area of sexuality and sex and morality. That is huge, the area for causing anxiety, depression, uh, fear, whatever. Sylvia, talk to us a little bit about that. You may come across a lot of people, especially when you pray for them and pastor them. And can I preface what I'm about to say by saying that there will be a lot of people here tonight who will be able to identify with what I'm gonna say. It's not being said to shame or to judge. It's just us telling you what life is like during the week for us as we try to pastor people. There's been a redefining, so to speak, of morality over the years. Um, oral and anal sex have become the norm. They've become an acceptable alternative to vaginal sex. They have become something that a lot of people indulge in because they know very well that um, sex outside of marriage is not allowed in God's word, but they don't think that anal and oral sex is sex. They don't think it comes under that. The trouble with that is, um, by the time the relationships end, and oftentimes they do, these are relationships outside of marriage, by the time the relationships end, things have been stirred up for people stirred up in a physical way. They've experienced things that they should not have experienced until they have got married. And so they have no partner now, relationships are finished. And so for them, the natural thing to satisfy those desires is masturbation. And that is what they get into. And so it becomes an incredibly vicious cycle. Well, anxiety just is, is rampant. Absolutely. It's like people realize that these sort of things, that people should not do this stuff, but they do it, but it causes them anxiety. The anxiety, the guilt and the shame become internalized, so to speak, and out of that comes anxiety. And we see a lot of people. We're not just talking the odd one or two. We're not just trying to shock you and say that, oh yeah, we saw maybe one in the last month. We see a lot of people that suffer with anxiety because of this fact. 
And I, I think in particular women, um, our, our girls uh, get hugely, hugely impacted by this. I was just telling a story this morning that I was, um, when I was studying counselling about 20 years ago, I was on placement here, and the first time I'd come across the whole thinking that um, oral and anal sex isn't sex, and to be honest, when I, uh, I had a young woman who presented with extreme anxiety, and she was um, the brightest, brightest young woman you could imagine, um, a science major and degrees left, right and centre, but her anxiety was through the roof, and once we did talk a little bit more, I discovered that relationally she was really struggling and that a lot of this was about the, the practices that they had uh, got into as a couple. Um, but she was hastened to tell me that, you know, I'm still a virgin and I'm not having sex, uh, but I'm having oral and anal sex. And, and honestly, my jaw dropped so far to the ground, I had a sore chin for weeks. Um, and I realised then how naive I was. It was like, seriously? Uh, so yeah, it, it really struck me back then, and, and to be honest, ever since it's been something that we do encounter with huge regularity, and for our girls, I worry about them. I, 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 uh, it just breaks my heart, to, because to be honest, and I'm not saying guys don't struggle, but to be honest, we don't really come across guys who do. Um, but the girls strugg struggle so much with guilt and shame, and it's not what we want for them, and we don't want you to feel guilty and ashamed tonight. We want you to, to open a, a conversation that says it's okay to come and talk to us, and it's, you know, we will uh, work with you and spend time with you, whatever it takes, because more often than not, anxiety and depression uh, is a direct result of these practices. I think definitely we redefine morality, and I think it's yeah around that. I think yeah. that's the only phrase that we can say is, is there's been a redefinition. Yeah. I think where where I see it, um, that it leads to anxiety, and it it just goes down as the comfort axis, especially in the um, in the area of porn, where yeah. where some guys get um, laughed at if they don't watch porn. But often I, yeah. I see with couples, and just if you're talking with them blatantly honest as a, as a couple. The, the girl will watch porn with the guy in order so she doesn't lose him. And then she becomes guilty and anxious and then that spirals down. It's just what is socially was and acceptable is now just is so prevalent. Absolutely. And again, there's the addictive nature um, of a lot of these online things of gaming and of watching porn, etc. very, very quickly these things can become chemically addictive, right. and therefore it's very, very easy to get taken in with that, even though you think, hey, no, 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 this is, you know, I'll be fine, I'm strong, it's not gonna happen, and sadly enough, it does. And as you know, we had Jessica Harris here last year because, uh, and a lot of um, our girls, completely related to the fact that we often see porn as a male issue, but it no longer is. I think another area where I see it with guys especially is that where the shame and the anxiety comes is that if they do have a porn issue is that they, they tell themselves, that I'll work this out myself. Yeah. I will work this out on my own. I will, I will conquer this. And they're 10 years, 15 years down the road 
and they're still saying that to them, and they, they're anxious, and they're guilty, and they're shamed, and you can see the, the darkness over them because it's, it's so heavy on them. We'll come back, I'll come back to uh, addictions in, in a few moments. I just wanna, when we're talking about some of the general stuff, um, I wanna talk about how the occult causes us to suffer with anxiety and, and depression. And um, you wanna speak to that first? Yeah. Um, again, society has normalized the occult and witchcraft. You see it in the movies. You see it in books that are for sale. And this is not adult books. These are children's books as well. Obviously, you see it online. You see it through social media. You see it through the billboards as you walk down the town. Some of the incredibly... The only way to describe it is evil images that appear. Um... This is something that both adults and children have got involved in. This is playground stuff, fun in the playground. Now, may I just say that if there are any of you here tonight that have been involved in it, please ask for help um, and we will spend time with you and work through it with you. The dark side draws us in it draws us into oppression and torment and confusion and depression. Where you find witchcraft, you usually find depression. But that's not to say that if you are depressed, you will have been involved in witchcraft and the occult. I don't want you to think that. But where there has been witchcraft and the occult, there will be depression. Can I just, sorry, one of the things that we didn't cover this morning, and I want to cover it some way tonight, and maybe this is the wrong place, but this whole generational impact, whether it be suicide, it happens, it follows in generations, the involvement in the occult goes generational, sexual Adultery, immorality goes in generations. Should we jump into that one? It just throws up. Yeah. Yeah, go on, jump in. You're eager there. I'll jump in. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I did look back at some of the notes that I make when I see people, and I found that of the people that have presented with anxiety and depression, 70% of them had family members who struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, that's quite a huge amount. But yes, it is a generational thing. It does come down the generational line. Um, does it sometimes miss generation? Actually, it can do. But then you suddenly find it reappearing again. But saying that, it can be broken. That's why Christ died on the cross. That's right. And so we need to pray. We need to bring that generational stuff to the cross. There's nothing deep and scary or fearful about it. That's all we do. The generational line comes to the cross. The sins of the ancestors get repented of. And that stuff gets cut off. Um, it's an easy process. But... It's interesting that it does drop down the generational line. 
just want to come back to you in a moment on a question around soul ties. Do you want to speak to generational? Yeah, I think with generational, um, there's... Sylvia um, was fascinated, weren't you, when you did your statistics the other day? But I think there's certainly, I was reading recently, there's at least a 40% um, chance of uh, suicide if, if there has been suicide in previous generations. Now, it's not a pleasant thing to say, but that's a reality, and it's something that we have to be really aware of. Self-awareness and self-care is incredibly um, important in this situation. Prayer, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, awareness, even before you get prayer, is huge. And clearly, uh, with depression and anxiety, these things, there's often a genetic predisposition. Just to repeat what you said. Yeah. Talk about soul ties. What do we mean by that? Because that's not, that's not, it compounds issues. It does. Um, soul ties basically are, I mean, we call them soul ties, they're spiritual ties between people. So if you've been in a sexual relationship, then in the spirit, and this is the only way I can describe it, there comes a tie between you and the person that you were sexually intimate with. Now, until those soul ties are broken, and like we talked about just now, that's very easily and simply done. You go to prayer and you break it with the blood of Jesus Christ. But unless that gets done, you are still tied in to those people that you had a sexual relationship with. So you can imagine what happens if you have indulged in a sexual relationship, or many of them, before you got married, you can imagine what happens when you marry and how many people come into your marriage bed. It's not just you and your spouse. It's you and all the people that you have had a sexual encounter with and all the people that your spouse has if they were sexually active before marriage. So. Unless they're broken, they will stay with you. Sometimes people wonder why they've finished a relationship that was a sexual one, and they can't seem to let it go. It's a soul tie, and it needs to be broken. And unless it is, those things will follow you. And I know it sounds dramatic, but they'll follow you for the rest of your life. And again, something incredibly, it's very, very easy to, Simple, yeah. to work with it. Yeah. It's like uh, Don always used to talk about two pieces of laminate coming together, glued together. When they're separated, a part of you is with them and a part of them is with you. It's as simple as that. And prayer is... But there's nothing effective. quite as exciting, though, to see someone come for prayer for soul ties to be broken, mm. and they go away a completely Free. different person. Absolutely. And you see them that in their next relationship, they are a completely different person. Yeah. And there's a release, and there's a, if I can say lightness, there's yeah. a freedom that accompanies those soul ties being broken. Can I just say something? I just want to say that there's nothing too difficult for God. A short story, somebody that I had opportunity to pray for, and they don't come to this church anymore, so that's okay. But they were a slightly older person, and their sexual encounters started when, if I remember rightly, they were 12 years old. And this person had a sexual addiction, and they said that they could not remember how many people they had slept with. And we are talking hundreds. 
and we went to prayer and I'm thinking, oh God help, because to be quite honest, my faith was like this. But anyway, we went to prayer, we brought it to Jesus, and we asked that in his mercy he would cut them off. She went out of the room with her face shining, and the person that she saw first looked at her and said, whatever has happened to you, there's nothing too difficult for Jesus. Good stuff, good stuff. I want to jump back, just move on. The, the whole area of um, addiction, uh, whatever that looks like, and anxiety and depression, it's just like people who, in my experience, who do drugs, they will suffer depression. It's part of the territory if they get into hard drugs. Jan, that's a, an area that's really passionate for you. And just talk around some of the things of, of drug addiction, trauma, yeah. abuse. Okay. Grief, um, sorry. And again, we're, we're, you know, just to, to repeat, we're looking at causal factors, things that uh, we encounter that are related to or lead to anxiety and depression. And we've already kind of quickly covered the whole idea of um, addiction to pornography or online gaming or something like that. Uh, it's very easy to get addicted to social media. Again, um, it can have a direct relationship on, uh, on anxiety and depression further down track. That's, that's more and more coming out in the, in the media Absolutely. and the health it's stuff, huge. isn't it? Yeah, it, it, there's a chemical addiction that results from uh, too much involvement in social media. Um, even liking things like that, there's a, a, a release of dopamine. So it's, it's a chemical response. Um, drugs and alcohol, huge research that supports the fact that if you've been into drugs, alcohol, um, marijuana, before 18 in particular, uh, that's when the brain is still not fully formed, then the chances of your struggling with anxiety and depression further down track are huge. Um, frankly, our brains are, again, we find them perfectly made, but, but our brains are not fully formed when we're 18 and before that, and so these substances have a huge impact. Um, yeah, and they're highly addictive. It's not just before 18, but there's, there's a massive increase um, with uh, the depression and anxiety as a result. Uh, traumas, there's so many things that trauma fits into. I was just thinking today, I talked about childhood trauma, I talked about uh, sexual abuse, which is a massive trauma in childhood. Mm. We talked about neglect um, and domestic violence, a child being... Um, even seeing domestic violence, all of that, that are examples of trauma and uh, uh, certainly hugely predisposes a child to struggle with anxiety and depression further down track. Um, it can be trauma in adulthood, it can be surgery, which Don alluded to last week. It can be uh, car accidents or something like that. Those kind of traumas, it doesn't impact everyone in that way but trauma can often impact people with um, their struggles further down track, especially if it's undealt with. Um, as with a lot of things, uh, if we deal with them, if we work through with them, if we get support, then the chances of them impacting us further down track aren't so great. 
One of the things that you, you, I always enjoy listening to you talk about is around the whole area of um, eating disorders and, and self-harm. How does he enjoy that? Well, I, I, I enjoy it because you help me understand it. Thank you. you, uh, you, you as you can see, I... Uh, you're going to come on to diets in a few moments and you're going to make some oh, comments about that. I've never, been a, I've never been a diet in my life. But, um, <laughs> but one of the things that you, you do talk about that helps me greatly is the whole area of eating orders, uh, tr um, self-harming, anxiety, depression. So okay. that's what I'm going to love you to speak to. And again, I, I don't think we recognise enough the fact that um, if I think of... I'll, talk about those two things separately, if you like. They're incredibly um, huge in our society, to be honest, and, and hidden at the same time. But um, we've certainly seen there's a very close relationship between an eating disorder and anxiety. Uh, some say they co-occur, they coexist. Uh, one goes before the other, but there's a very close relationship. And, and if I think about an eating disorder, um, as an anxiety disorder, if you like. People will often say, well, how on earth does that happen anyway? Why would somebody have an eating disorder? And again, putting it incredibly simplistically, it's often that life gets overwhelming and it's about controlling something in your life when you don't have control in other areas and you'd like it. So for example, for eating, we can control what we eat, we control, can control how much we eat. And so in order to feel like I've got control over some aspect of my life, I'm going to choose to uh, eat in this way or choose to not eat in this way. The sadness is that very, very quickly with an eating disorder is that our control over it quickly switches and it controls you way, way faster than you can imagine. And for those um, here who can relate to that, uh, again, if, it's, if you understand it as an anxiety disorder at some level, um, there's, there's help. So please ask for help. Self-harm. Uh, again, 20 years ago, I would, uh, whenever I spent time with anyone who was cutting or uh, any of those other forms of self-harm, very often, probably 99% it was uh, related to sexual abuse, which is, as I talked before, incredibly damaging for a child. But now, to be perfectly honest, guys, it's trendy, as you know, and uh, that horrifies me. And I'm sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, but what on earth is trendy about self-harm? And getting into, onto YouTube and watching people self-harm and then trying it ourselves. Our kids are doing this, and we have to protect them. Um, again, what is self-harm about? Simplistically, usually about someone being overwhelmed. Usually, it's, it's about huge levels of internal pain. And with internal pain comes that need for release. And so if you can um, help bring about that release by imposing physical pain on yourself for a short amount of time if that internal pain doesn't feel half so hard to live with. So it's about the release of internal pain with an external form of pain. 
Thanks. But again, ask for help if you need to, um, because it's available. Sorry, I'm just telling him about something he needs to do. <laughs> Very briefly, because I just in the, in the yep. five or so minutes that we've got left, I want to talk about the holistic approach, but some okay. of the points that you've raised there, um, which you subtly showed me. Yeah, 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 I thought I would be. Um, um, just, just really, really quickly, I just think there's a few other things, uh, predisposing factors that really, really quickly we'll talk about. We talked about burnout last, um, last week, talked about isolation. Grief and loss is massive. Um, mm. Loneliness is massive towards, you know, predisposing factors, if you like. Stress, stressors in our society. Stress can be good. Too much stress can't be, isn't. And so uh, there are so many of these factors that we've only just touched the surface. But again, if you can relate to those, talk to somebody about them. Good. In the three or four or five minutes that we've got left, I want to talk about what we call a holistic approach. That, uh, a holistic approach to this whole area of dealing with anxiety and depression. And the three areas that we, we talk about are a spiritual approach, a physical approach, and a, an emotional approach. That we don't want to just go and say it's all to do with medical, um, um, medical and meds will solve, uh, medication will solve everything when it doesn't. But then we don't want to jump to the other thing and say it's all spiritual and it's all demonic mm -hmm. and it's all that. That there is this holistic approach around the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional. So in the time that we've got left, can you just briefly talk to the, the spiritual? Quickly. So the word of God. Um, does the word of God, the scriptures have a place in our healing journey? Yeah, it does. Um, but when somebody is suffering from anxiety and depression, particularly when they are on this end of the continuum, the last thing they can do is read. Whether it's scripture or anything else, they lose their cognitive thinking, they can't concentrate. So do we ask people how they're going? And as far as reading the words concerned, yeah, we do. But if they can't, for a time, that's okay. Um, we don't want to help heap more guilt on them. They're already, already feeling mm. guilty, mm. probably, and shamed enough when they're having to cope with um, the stigma of mental health. So personal prayer, is that important? Yeah, of course it is. But again, people that are struggling with mental health issues, on this end particularly of the continuum, they can't pray. They just can't. And for us to say to them, okay, make sure you pray for 10 minutes every day, it's just unfair. And so I think in that sort of situation and circumstance, we need people around us, we need the body around us, we need to be able to say to somebody, hey, you know, will you pray for me for the next X number of weeks? Will you support me in this? Um, and so that's what it's like for us to work together. Prayer ministry, does it help? Absolutely it does. Um, one quick story. One quick story. Okay, a, a young woman that came for prayer with anxiety. Um, anxiety that became extreme at a particular time in the day. And it was in actual fact the evening time. And it sat with her until she went to bed and she didn't sleep well because of it. A few years previous, she had had some bad news, life-changing news, and we asked, what time did that life-changing news come? And she looked and she said, 
early evening. And it's like, okay. <clears throat> so we went to prayer and Jesus came. And he healed that emotional wound. And from that day on, she's had no more anxiety. Now, her anxiety was purely and simply an emotional pain. There was nothing demonic about it. There was no deliverance, no nothing like that. Our lives are like big balls of string in a way, which has got lots of little knots in it. And God knows which knot to undo first. We don't know. And often he'll go for one that we never expected him to go for. We really need to hear what he's saying to us. We might think that there's something demonic. Holy Spirit might even have told us that there is a spiritual thing there to be dealt with at a later date. It doesn't have to be dealt with there and then. We need to listen to him. And <clears throat> deliverance is now focus. It never is. We are concentrating on getting light in, not getting darkness out. And when light comes in, it is inevitable that the darkness will go at some point along the way. But it's not, it's not our main focus. Thank you. Do you want to really talk about the, the physical? So in terms of the physical, it's incredibly simple. It's a little bit like, you know, we have to be careful what we feed our minds. We also have to be careful what we feed our bodies. So diet, um, what we put into our bodies counts. Uh, exercise, any form of regular exercise. There's a saying that fitness robs the dog of its power. We talked about uh, depression being black dog last week. Um, vitamins, minerals, sunlight, simple as that. Uh, seasonal effect disorder is, uh, is very, very common with Kiwis. Uh, they call it the sad disorder. And uh, because of winter, lack of sunshine on our skin, uh, in our cortex, things like that, things like really, really affect a lot of people. So spring comes and they feel different. So getting as much sunlight as you can, Giving up caffeine can be as simple as, for some people, giving up caffeine makes a massive difference. Um, and rest. He has made us to rest. He's given us, told us to have a day of rest. And rest is important. So those kind of lifestyle choices make a difference. The holistic, spiritual, physical, and briefly... Emotional. Emotional. Okay. Counselling. Sometimes people are not ready for prayer, they need counselling first, counselling digs around something and their prayer comes along and actually pulls it out. Pastoral care, we walk with people, we encourage them, we offer support, we need friends and relationships, we need to be connected in, really important for us to be connected with people. That's probably really quickly. Okay. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I just want to say it's a multifaceted approach there isn't just one thing that is important when you've got anxiety and depression and it's a multifaceted approach mm. there is prayer but prayer is not the only thing there is counselling there are medical professionals there is medication it's a multifaceted approach yeah. thank you musicians would you join us please Sylvia's concern coming into this week was that she wouldn't have enough to say. <laughs> and how, how foolish was that? And this morning she was quite timid and today she's been quite cheeky. Good on you, Sylvia. <laughs> Sylvia's English and I'm Welsh, so there's a little bit of um, fun there.
both of you, thank you. Huge work that you do, I know, on, on a weekly basis, day in, day out, and the role that you play in people's lives. Just that, that God is the answer and that he is our hope. He is, you know, I mean, he's our future hope. He's our current hope. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes it's all, one of the biggest difficulties I, I find in pastoring is what's my role? What's the person's role and what's God's role? And uh, I think in there lies the answer if we could work that one out and uh, if we can just, as you say, hold people's hands. But do you want to sum up for us, please? I think in all of this, we need to remember that Jesus is our hope. He is our redeemer. He is our life-forgiving savior. You know, sometimes we wonder why we don't see the quick miracles. It's what we long to see. But sometimes I think we need to realize that God has given us other gifts to work with at the moment. I see it as if the miracle that we all long for, that we all pray for and cry out for, and will continue to do so. I see it like a big present wrapped in shiny, bright colored paper and tied with ribbon. And it's what we want. And it's what we long for. But we can't reach it because it's still out there. But you know, if we turned around, we would see in the room other presents. Now those presents may be wrapped in brown paper and they may be tied with string and they look quite plain. But if we undo them, we will find in there gifts that God has given. We will find in there the counseling skills. We will find in there the mental health practitioners, the psychologists, the psychiatrists. We will find all the medical professions in there. We'll find medication in there. They are God-given. I know we struggle with that sometimes. We want God to do it all. But God created all things. And I think while we don't yet see the huge miracles and the suddenness that we long for, he's provided other things for us. Now, does that mean we stop praying for the miracles and the healings and the suddenness? Absolutely not. We pray and we knock and we seek and we rattle that door and one day it will open. But in the meantime, we thank him for what he's given us and we use it because they're gifts from him. He is our redeemer. He is our healer. And to be quite honest, he's our all in all and he's the only one that we have. And so we keep our focus on him. And in everything, we include him. Whether it's counseling, whether it's visiting medical professionals, whatever it is, he's there. He's our hope, our eternal hope. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.